We are in our week two of this series called Broken People, and um, basically the bottom line of broken people is God makes broken people beautiful again by giving them a purpose to his grand plan. If you've ever felt broken before in this life, it could be because of a, maybe a big mistake that you might, might be living with regret, or it could be because of others, you know, what they think about you or what they say about you, or it could be because of just continued bad circumstances that are beyond your control, that you, you did nothing to, to, you know, to bring that to your front door, but it's happening, and you're, you find yourself really, really broken. What I do know is that God uses broken people. And the reason why God uses broken people, and we find this in his word, God loves to work with broken people because they have a need for God. When we're broken, we have a need for God. We want to cry out to him more. Broken people also are very well equipped to help other broken people. Other broken people who've been through similar situations. And then broken people are a trophy of God's grace. There's a, there's a trophy case in heaven of, of grace. And, and you and I have an opportunity uh, to, to wear that, to be a part of that, um, that grace. And so he, he points others to him through your life story of brokenness. And as God provides that grace. And so we, we talked about that introduction last week. And of course, you could find that on our website. We also talked about broken strength. How God used a man like Samson, and he could still use someone like him after filling his life with bad choices. Samson was filled with so much ego, and we use the word ego as edging God out, just pushing God to the side, edging God out. How did Samson do that? How do we do that? Samson gives us a great model, not not a model for us to live by, but a, a model for us to learn by. He uses pride, disobedience, and self-reliance. And so when we are to a point where we are broken because of deliberate sin in our life, and this is is deliberate sin. This is sin that we've allowed to linger more and more time in our life. We just like, we we are consciously, consciously making this choice. That's what Samson was doing. When that happens, pride is going to step in. Then after that, disobedience and self-reliance. And then you find yourself completely broken by the choices in your own life. Hey, it happens. It happens. And that's where God's grace steps in. God's grace stepped in with Samson. Samson, God wasn't done with Samson. As we saw at the end of his life, he cried out these simple words, remember me. Remember me. It's the same words the thief shared on the cross. Remember me. And God did. And all you got to do is simple, cry out a simple few words. Remember me, Lord. Forgive me. Help me to live for you in my brokenness. So today we visit the story of a woman who had life throw broken dreams in her path. So the title of my sermon today is called Broken Dreams. Broken Dreams. How many of y'all have had broken? Don't raise your hand. How many of y'all had dreams that have been broken? Maybe that special girl or that guy in your life. You know, of course, my dream was broken. I get to live the dream every day. I get to wake up with that every day. Praise the Lord. By the grace of God. 
But maybe there's a certain career, that certain job, or maybe you wanted to be a professional athlete, a professional, you know, uh, a singer or musician, or you you wanted to be in a certain position, or maybe you wanted to go to college and it just didn't work out for you, you know? You have these, these sort of dreams and aspirations. We're going to look at this story of how there was hope in the midst of broken dreams. It begins with the family moving from Bethlehem to the country of Moab to escape a horrible famine. After moving there, the husband dies. The two boys marry Moabite women. After being married for 10 years, uh, both of the sons die, leaving mom and her two daughters-in-law alone with no man to provide a living for them. After hearing the, the famine back in Bethlehem was over, all three widows decide to make their journey to the hometown of the mother-in-law, Bethlehem. In the middle of their journey, we see a conversation happen, and we're going to be in Ruth, the book of Ruth, chapter 1. Now, Ruth, if you want to turn your copy of God's Word or your digital copy of God's Word, Ruth is right after Judges. We were just in uh, Judges last week. In fact, the, sermon, the series before that, we were in Joshua. Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. We spent a little time last week with, with uh, Judges, with Samson. And actually, Ruth, the story of Ruth happens in that sort of 300-year time, time span in the book of Judges. When Israel just sort of did whatever they thought was right. And they didn't heed the word of the Lord all the time. And so God had to bring deliverers time and time again. Well, Ruth's story is in that time period. So if you look at Ruth chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, let's just read these couple of verses, and we're seeing this, this uh, conversation take place. And we, we see this. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant this each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud. Broken dreams. Broken dreams. You can sense sort of the, the feeling. Naomi had this, had this dream of having a family and her, son, and her sons married and, and, and grandchildren. There were, there were no grandchildren in the picture. And her sons were dead. Her husband was dead. And she's left with her daughters-in-law who were of Moabite descent. Her dreams are shattered. And so Naomi is is in this situation where she maybe feels lonely, afraid, angry, or maybe hopeless. Maybe a broken dream you have faced before has left you similarly. Situation, lonely, afraid, angry, or hopeless. Broken dreams can do that. And it's not even your fault a lot of times. These women did nothing to bring this onto themselves. It's just called life. But the way we respond to our broken plans or our broken dreams will have an effect on how God is able to use us. This is important. The way we respond to our broken plans or our broken dreams will have a huge effect on how God is able to use us. We see two responses. 
from the two daughters-in-law after this verse. One daughter-in-law decides to go back to Moab. The other daughter, Ruth, clings to Naomi. And we see this in this conversation in verses 15 through 18. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods, lowercase g. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Wow. Such powerful commitments. You have, you have two women, really three women, but now it's kind of down to two in the story that Naomi and now Ruth, two women who are going through broken dreams. Now, Naomi's going back home, but Ruth is moving away from her country. Different language, different culture, even a different worship of the one true God. She chooses the Lord. Your God will be my God. Such incredible words. All mothers have a favorite daughter-in-law. Suzanne was my mom's favorite daughter-in-law. She told me that time and time again. We know which one is Naomi's favorite, obviously. But this is the first response of broken dreams. What is the response of broken dreams? We see Ruth be considerate. Everybody say the word considerate. Considerate. We see Ruth be considerate of someone else. She's considerate of her mother-in-law. She's the opposite of being selfish. The other daughter-in-law... Decided, well, I'll see you later. I'm going back to Moab. It would have been much easier for Ruth to go back to her home country. But she was considered. In the middle of her brokenness, she was considered. When our plans are ruined and our dreams crushed, the last natural response for us is consideration of what others are going through. Don't you find yourself when those plans and dreams are crushed? The last thing people you think about are others. It's all about yourself. We naturally turn inward, making it about us. But if you want God to use you after your broken dreams, don't make it about you. Consider others. And that's a very difficult thing to do, right? Have you ever had those broken plans and those broken dreams or those big letdowns in life? You turn inward and make it about you. But I want to encourage you. Do what Ruth shows us. She's going to show us a few more things. Do what Ruth does. Be considerate of others. Don't be selfish. Ruth and Naomi end up making it back to Bethlehem. Naomi is having a very difficult time with this. Naomi even changes her name to a, to a name that means bitterness. Oh, she's just milking this, right? She tells all her friends, don't, don't call me Naomi. Call me, call me bitter. Ruth, however, goes off to pick the leftover grain that the harvesters 
missed from the field. So they're in a time where they're, they're beginning to collect the harvest and, and, and the crops and, and all the, the farmers and the people working in the fields, they're, they're picking the grain. Well, when you pick grain, there's leftover grain. You don't pick every 100% of it because you're trying to just work through it. And there are people like, like uh, servants and, or, or slaves or, or people that just don't have a lot. They'll just come back, the poor, they'll come back and they'll just pick whatever grain could be left over. That is Ruth. Ruth has, is doing that. She's going back to pick the leftovers. She happened to work in the fields belonging to a relative of Naomi's former husband. You know, the guy that died several years ago. This man was Boaz is his name. Boaz. He takes notice of Ruth and informs her that she can stay in his field and take whatever leftovers she can carry. He instructs her, his hired hands and his hired workers, hey, I need you to treat her kindly. They need you to protect her. Listen to Ruth's response in, in, in chapter 2. So go to chapter 2, one chapter over. Verse 13. Ruth chapter 2, verse 13, it says, May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. She's talking to Boaz. She said, You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant. Though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. So we have this quick little conversation where you get to see the heart of Ruth a little bit. There's no expectation in her voice to receive special treatment. Ruth is not playing the victim card. Could she? Does she have a right? Uh, yes, she probably does. Different country, different language, lost her husband. Now she's stuck with her mother-in-law. <laughs> I mean, she's got, she's got reason to, to have the victim card mentality. She acknowledges that she doesn't even have the, the standing of one of his servants, one of Boaz's servants. Look, you've got servants, you've got hired hands. I'm even lower than them. We see nothing but humility from Ruth. Humility. Not shamefulness. There's nothing she's done to call shame. She's just humble. She's just humble. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Thinking of yourself less often. That's humility. That's what Ruth does. In your brokenness of broken dreams, respond with humility. Not like, oh, woe is me. I played the victim card. It's all about me. That, that's not humility. Walk in zero expectation of receiving reparations for your troubles. Walk in zero expectation of receiving some sort of reformation, reparations for your troubles, some sort of attention for your troubles. If you walk in that zero expectation, if you walk in true humility, I believe the Lord will use you. So when our broken plans happen and our broken dreams happen, we need to be considerate of others. We don't, we don't want to just be making it about ourselves, but we also need to walk in humility. We, need to, we don't need to play the, the victim card. We don't need to play the victim card. 
Walk in humility. So at the, as the story continues, at the request of Boaz, Ruth stays in his field until the end of the harvest season. Biblical scholars say that Boaz was much older than Ruth. We can assume that he was not married because it's not mentioned in, in God's word or, or his children. But we know that Boaz was a kinsman redeemer to Naomi because of his family ties with their former husband who passed away. Now, let me explain kinsman redeemer. Some of y'all may know what this is. A kinsman redeemer is one who acts in behalf of a relative in danger or in need. So like, they, you know, purchasing freedom from slavery or buying uh, back property or marrying uh, the, um, to preserve property, marrying someone to preserve property and continue the family line. Naomi desperately wanted to keep her land in the family name. In the culture of the time, women could not own land. It would take a kinsman or a family redeemer to keep it in the family. Boaz was that man. Actually, there was a couple of them. Boaz was one of them. He would need to purchase the land on behalf of the family and also marry Ruth. It was clear that God was providing this opportunity. Naomi, remember, she's desperate. And she's bitter. She's not handling this well. Naomi, the mother-in-law. Naomi realizes this and gives instructions to Ruth. Check out what it says in Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. says this. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Now, let me explain this a little bit. The threshing floor was kind of like, you know, the, the... when the harvest came in and the grain was in piles, they're, they're, they're getting prepared for the, for the next stage of, of grain to make it useful for baking and, and all kinds of stuff. So the threshing floor at the end of the harvest was really a time where the men got together and they just party. We see this in Scripture in other parts. They just, they just have a good time, have a big meal, they have a few drinks, you know, get a little tipsy, you know, and they party. But it wasn't a place for women. In fact, you'll see other parts in Scripture, if a woman did wind up in the threshing floor, bad things happened. And so it wasn't really a, a great place for a woman to be. And so here you have Boaz and the guys. They're just, they're like, oh, man, what a... We just spent weeks just 
getting this harvest in. And now the grain's here. We've got all these piles of grain. Man, we can celebrate. What a good job, right? Let's toast, right? It's Miller time. So that's what they do. And they celebrate. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do. I'm not saying it's right to get toasted, but that's just what they do, right? But it's not a great place for women. So you might be thinking, (laughs) all right, is Naomi placing Ruth in a situation to seduce a man, to trap him into having to marry her, to put him in a situation where he has a few drinks, he's a little tipsy, he has food, everything's in great spirits, and there's a woman with perfume, nice dress, man, she's curls in her hair, you know, and she comes in and, and lies down next to him. Is that what Naomi's doing? Yes. That's what she's doing. She, she's out of her mind, Naomi. She, sometimes mother-in-laws, and some of you can attest to this, will do whatever it takes. Right? I've been participants of some weddings. It's like, oh my goodness, wow. But not all weddings are like that. But I do know this, Naomi puts Ruth in a situation, not only Ruth, but Boaz in a, in a situation. She's desperate to lure two people into sin. But we see that Ruth obeys her mother-in-law. So what happened? Let's look at uh, verses 7 through 14. Chapter 3, 7 through 14. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. So he's by himself. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. Now here, here's where I think Naomi's plan doesn't get fulfilled, but, but Ruth does something different. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are guardian redeemer of our family. She's not saying, look, I'm here for you to do whatever you want. She's basically saying, look, I'm a servant of yours, but you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my Daughter, he replied, this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of your family, there is another man is, is a more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do this duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she laid his feet until morning, but he got up before anyone could be recognized, and he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. So here you have two people placed in a situation that something could have happened and no one probably would have known about it. Everybody else is out. 
And two people had the opportunity to obey or disobey God. And they decided, hey, we're going to obey God. She was a woman of noble character, but also Boaz was a man of noble character, very well respected in the community. They were in a situation where they decided, you know what? <laughs> Let's do this the right way. Let's obey God. Let's do this the right way. And we see that's what happened. While Ruth agreed to do all that Naomi said, she did not do everything exactly the way Naomi seemed to have expected things to be done. Somehow Ruth and Boaz are able to navigate the moral minefields of the situation and come out unscathed. Both Ruth and Boaz were placed in compromising situations, but both responded in a godly way so that their character was evident and the goal which Naomi sought to reach could be gained by a much higher road. The goal was to have the family redeemer redeem the family and to help them in a biblical way. And they chose to do just that. We see Ruth respond with obedience to her mother-in-law, sure, but most importantly, she responded in obedience to her faith in God, granted her new faith in God. She was even a new believer in God. Remember, your God will be my God. She's new in her faith, but yet she knows, hey, I need to follow the Lord. I need to honor the Lord with this. So what is the third thing we see that Ruth, do, that Ruth did? She was obedient. She was obedient to the Lord. Sure, she was obedient to her mother-in-law to a certain point, but when she had the opportunity to cross the line, she didn't. To cross the line of sin, she stayed there. She was obedient to the Lord. So we see Ruth show incredible character in the middle of her brokenness, in the middle of her broken dreams. She was considerate. She was humble. And she was obedient. Three important, incredible characteristics that you and I also need to show when we have broken dreams. And it's very difficult in the middle of our brokenness, consideration, humility, and obedience to the Lord. So Boaz does indeed, because some of you ladies are like, what's the rest of this story, the love story? Boaz does indeed purchase the land and gets the girl in, in a godly way. The book of Ruth goes, and goes on to say that they marry and have a son named Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who is the father of David. The Lord uses Ruth in the middle of her broken dreams to be the grandmother of the greatest king of Israel and ultimately the lineage of Jesus. But she could have messed all that up if she went around a different path. When we are broken because of circumstances happening to us, we need to follow the pattern set by Ruth. We need to be considerate of others, not making this situation about ourselves. We need to be humble by not expecting to receive reparations or attention for our troubles. 
And we need to be obedient to the Lord's biblical guidelines so sin does not enter through vulnerable seasons of brokenness. And you and I both know when we are broken, when we are let down, when dreams just don't happen the way we want them to, what we, we go into sin. We are vulnerable to sin. Think about it. When bad things happen, what do you do? You go get a milkshake at Chick-fil-A. Make yourself feel better. Go get you some Krispy Kreme donuts, you know? Or you might revert to other things. Some people go to the bottle and other things in life. Be obedient to the Lord. I'm not saying Chick-fil-A milkshakes <laughs> sinful. They're sinfully good. Yes. But we learn a lot from Ruth today in our broken dreams. We naturally don't want to think about others. We don't want to be considerate of others. We don't want to be humble. We think, well, I've been humbled enough. And we definitely don't want to follow in obedience. That's hard. That's difficult. So, broken dreams are real. Broken dreams are real. Broken plans are real. We've all had them. Whether it be small or large, they happen. But how we respond to that will really greatly affect on how God can use us. There is a Jesus connection in all of this. And this is what I love about this message as we kind of close it out. We see this in the action of Jesus. When he became the ultimate kingsman redeemer, Purchasing our freedom from sin and eternal death was his own life at the cross. We see elements of what Boaz had to do and what Jesus did for us. The ultimate kinsman, redeemer. And then we see his description in Philippians chapter 2. You can turn it if you want or just watch the screen. But Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8 says this. In your relationship one another, another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So what is this mindset? Here it is, verse 6. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus considered us and became like us rather than use equality with God to his own advantage. He became like one of us, flesh. Jesus was also humbled by the cross cross is a very humiliating thing. He was humbled by that. And Jesus was obedient to his father's plan. Even Jesus in his brokenness. He was considerate. He was humble. And he was obedient. We follow that same pattern. God can God can use us. Now, the good thing about Jesus is he wasn't broken because of broken dreams or broken plans. His plan turned out perfectly. 
It was God's plan all along. And we get to be the benefits of that. And he came so that he could be the redeemer for us. He could be the redeemer for us to redeem a new way of life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If we, as we uh, close out this portion of the service, I just want to make sure you, you understand that, that, that God knows what you're going through. He understands any kind of broken plans, any kind of broken dreams. And, and he gets that. He wants to be right in the middle of that, but you've got to allow him to do that. And the way for you to open the door for him to do that, hey, just don't make it about yourself. Consider others, be humble, and just obedient to his plan, to what he wants you to do. And don't allow sin to enter into your life Deliberate sin into your life during your season of broken dreams. And if that is you, I just, I want you to just, maybe you need to confess something to the Lord. or Maybe you just say, Lord, I, I need your help. I'm in a season of brokenness and, and I need to do a better job of being considerate. I need to be humble and good Lord, you know I need to be more obedient to you. So maybe you just need to ask the Lord for that. And if you're here today and you've never really stepped over that line of belief, or maybe you're, you're listening live or, or listening later or watching now, it doesn't matter. Maybe, maybe you need to just come before the Lord on your knees, heart of humility, say, Jesus, I need you. In my brokenness, I need a Savior. Please, redeem me. I'm asking you. Redeem me from my, my old way of life. Give me new life in you. Please forgive me my sin. How many to live my life for you? I accept you. Come into my life. Be my redeemer. Be my savior. In Jesus' name, amen.